Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Runner on Air. My name is Chris Burdick. I'm the host for today's episode. And today we're going to dive into some entertainment news. First, we're going to dive into some controversial news. Destiny Sims, our features editor, and Joey Martinez, our podcaster, will be joining me. We'll sit down and talk about cuties from Netflix and the controversy around that, where that got started. And then me and Blake McKee, our other podcaster, will dive into Disney Plus's Mandalorian Season 2 and a lot of the spoilers from that. All right, so without further ado, let's dive into Netflix's biggest controversy of this year, the Cuties movie. The controversy started earlier this year after release of the movie's poster in America showed Bane character Amy and her dance crew all in short shorts and somewhat revealing clothing, all posing in various exotic dancer poses. Justifiably, the poster has stirred up a lot of controversy, especially on social media, which led Netflix to release a statement apologizing for the risque imagery on the poster. Netflix released this statement stating, Cuties is a social commentary against the sexualization of young children. It's an award-winning film and a powerful story about the pressure young girls face on social media and from society more generally growing up and we'd encourage anyone who cares about these important issues to watch the film. The drama comedy was originally a French film directed and written by Mia Mona Decure. Since the release of the film, Rotten Tomatoes has given it an 86% from their critics. Metacritic has given it a score of 68, but audiences still not on the bandwagon do not find the film to be anywhere near as good as these critics seem to think. On Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is at 15%, and IMDb has the popularity score of this film at about 13. And just to give everybody a little bit of breakdown of what the film is about, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, and this is according to the Sundance.org website, Cuties is a film about the 11-year-old Amy, who lives with her mother Miriam and younger brother as they await her. Her, their father's return to the family in Senegal. Amy becomes fascinated with the disobedient neighbor Angelica, who is starred by Medina El Andi, and her free-spirited dance clique, a group that stands in sharp contrast with Stoic Miriam's deeply held traditional values. Throughout the film, Amy is challenged and bullied by other girls about growing up and her inability to let go of her childish ways. So that leads her to look things up on the internet as her and the dance crew learn more and more risque dances that they throw up on social media. Uh, this leads Amy down a path of disobedience against her mother. Various situations happen, including Amy stealing her mother's credit card at one point and going on a shopping spree with her friends. To the outside eye, the film could be seen as childish smut, but the interior of the film is actually about a young female struggling to get through her life at 11 years old and come to grips with what the world is looking for from her and how she becomes a woman at such an early age. The movie has won numerous awards, including the Sundance Institute's Directing Award for World Cinema Dramatic in 2019, but nonetheless, is under great scrutiny because of the way it was advertised, which has even led people to start a movement of hashtag cancel Netflix, as hundreds of families have canceled their Netflix subscriptions due to the release of the film. So joining me today is our podcaster, Joey, and our features editor, Destiny Sims, who's going to sit down and chat with me about this and what we, along with other CSUB students, kind of feel about the film and how Netflix should go about it. And if Netflix overall should take the rap for this. Joey, let's start with you. What are, uh, what are your thoughts on the entire situation? Uh, what are your thoughts on the film? I know you watched it yourself. 
Yeah, so I like to consider myself a cinephile. And so I came into this movie trying to clear my expectations of it that I already had, you know, predetermined beforehand. I thought it was going to be like a really kind of gross movie. So I really tried my hardest going into it, not to be judgy about it. Kind of came out with it with the same exact opinion, but with a better perspective of seeing why she kind of tried making it the way she did. Why the director kind of went like, in my opinion, uh, above and beyond to exploit the kids in the movie to make a point. I personally think that the movie itself was decent storyline. I like the acting from the little girls, especially in the main character. I thought she was really um, like like a funny, well-made character. I didn't, I like the message of the ending, but everything to get to that point to me was, felt like a giant, like the worst of the worst scenarios for girls to go through kind of situation leading up to like that point, like to her to find like the split path of, I'm not gonna embrace my traditions, nor am I gonna embrace the social norm. I'm just gonna go be a young girl. But it feels like that's such a fairy tale ending, like to something that was supposed to be such a, I guess a rough look at like today's sexualized culture, like on TikTok and through music and things like that. Now, when I say all this, I, I was looking at some articles to kind of see what other people thought. And a majority of people are kind of in that, you know, that side of the group of like, oh, this is gross. Like, you know, not even worth watching, things like that. The Rolling Stone had a really interesting article. Now, the name of the article, it was uh, by E.J. Dixon. It says, how cuties is fueling the far right's obsession with pedophilia. Now, I read this article, and I'm a very moderate person, so let me, let me read like, you know, some of the highlights from it. This is a quote from it. Many correctly pointed out that the poster was inappropriate. Those who had seen the film also correctly pointed out that it was a misleading and offensive image to the market that was actually a sensitive portrait of a female adolescence by a gifted woman of color. So that's all my thoughts on it. I understand where the director was coming from. I just thought it was like a pretty poor execution. And I thought it's ironic that a movie that's supposed to be about the exploitation of kids feels like they exploited kids to get that message across. I'm pretty happy I watched it though, because I really still don't think it's as bad as like the people who are like super against it are making it seem like. Like, I, I, it, I think it's bad, but I don't think it's, I don't know, I don't think it's like that wet appetite of a pedophile kind of thing. I, I understand what they were going for. I understand the, 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 tri the portrayal of it, but I just didn't think it was well executed. I have to agree. That Destiny, what are your thoughts on everything? So, personally, as somebody who's been in the position of a young female, actually having to try to figure out how to walk that line between being too sexual too young and being caught up on the trends, I can honestly say that I actually felt like I was a little bit more understood seeing that film. Now, I'm not saying that this might overall have not been considered a trashy or insensitive way to convey the message. I'm not arguing that, but I do think that she went about it in a way that made it really clear what a lot of us go through in ways. Like, no, most of us did not dance in that way, for instance, but people weren't exactly sitting around twerking all the time when I was in middle school. I feel like all she did was take a lot of our childhoods and middle school years as you're trying to figure out who you are and just modernize it to what they're doing now. Like you guys mentioned the dancing and how graphic the dancing is. Think about it. All of these little girls and boys all over the world, like, I mean, I get in the case of the film, she's specifically referencing what females go through during that and how they respond. But all of these kids are seeing those films on YouTube and there is no second voice to say this isn't okay. All of those videos, they're just people publishing them going, this is, this is great. Look how sexy I am or whatever it is that they're doing or look at this cool dance and it goes viral. The kid sees it. There's nothing saying, oh, this isn't okay. 
I feel like in a, if anything, the film was actually kind of showing kids like this is what you don't need to do this. This isn't what you should be doing. I kind of feel like people jumped the gun when they just came to the conclusion, oh, there's some perverted scenes that make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because change only comes when you're uncomfortable. That's fair. Now that we got everybody's kind of thoughts out in the air, let's get back to the actual topic at hand here, which really ties into all three of our points, which is the use of children in this way, especially little girls, to get a point across. And all of this really started with the posters, the advertisement and stuff like that, which is drastically different in Europe and France than it was here in America. I wish there was a way we could show the listeners exactly what we're talking about here, but I'll do my best to actually explain it. As I said earlier, the American poster that came out with Cuties depicted the dance crew in very skimpy, tight, stripper-esque wear, all in various exotic dancing poses. Very, very just over-the-top, very pedophile-esque. It just was not a good look at all. Netflix, obviously, as I said, has since apologized for that, but still is yearning people to go watch the film because it is an award-winning film. Now, the advertising posters in Europe and France just depicted the dancing group running down the street with their bags of clothing and stuff that they had bought with Amy's mother's credit card in the scenes of the movie, which did not depict the girls in any way, shape, or form over-sexualized and just depicted the girls of having fun. Do you two kind of feel like if America got the poster that Europe got, that we would have this kind of backlash? I definitely think the response would have been different based off of the poster. To be fair, to explain for the listeners who didn't not get to see the film. There is a scene in the f- in the film in which the character Amy, who has become the one that is trying to get the young girls to learn the more sexualized dances as she learns about them online, she picks a fight with another girl and in the process gets pantsed. That's when we actually see her butt, not her bare skin, but just the underwear covering them, to be clear. And she gets made fun of for wearing little girls' duck underwear. And I gotta admit, like, Could you not imagine the embarrassment that she felt and why that translates to the poster? And I feel like that's key to understanding the advertising. But that reference is all it is is to little to girls buying underwear. Now, I'll admit they were more adult underwear because they were being bullied about little girl underwear. So it was almost like representative of the movie's core message that this over-sexualization is being pushed on them too young versus our poster here in the U.S., which did nothing but sexualize them. And I, I feel like that's where a big piece of this comes in because you have to think advertisements all based on what they think your people are going to want and is going to sell. And I understand in America, sex sells as that, but not in this age range. We do not touch this age range for a specific purpose. And in my opinion, if we had gotten the the picture of the girls running down the street with the lingerie over their own clothing, looking like they're having fun. It would, I think this movie would be more focused around say good boys, the Seth Rogen film that came out a couple years ago, uh, the three 10 to 11 year old friends who are going through the exact same stuff, you know, stuff guys are going through getting bullied all the time, having to figure out how to kiss girls and blah, 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 blah. It would have been seen more in that sense rather than, you know, oh, they're saying America is full of pedophiles and that's all that's going to sell is pedophile type stuff. And that's where I think that the, the fault really lies on, on, the, on behalf of the people who worked on this film is just how it was portrayed. 
So, but I mean, the advertisement and all that, and like I said, we'll touch on the trailer in a minute, but all of that added together really showed nothing the movie really brought across. It was very misleading. And it's like the film itself is like you said, Destiny, it's about a group of girls that are just trying to figure out their way through their lives, just like every other 11-year-old girl. They look up stuff online to, to learn stuff because they're too embarrassed to ask their parents. And because of that, they're brought into this world of over-sexualization, especially on social media. And they think, okay, in order for me to get that kind of attention, I have to do the exact same thing, which is not the case whatsoever. It shouldn't be the case. But I feel like if they would have advertised this and addressed this movie in a better way, none of this would have happened. Netflix would not be getting any of the stuff over this. And Netflix is the creator of this movie. They are the ones who, who funded this film to become a full-length film. Netflix knew what the movie was about, but even they messed up on the bringing it to a people's attention. Joey, do you have any thoughts too? I think if they would have gone with the original European poster, I feel like it would not. this movie would not even have been a big deal in the, in the first place. I feel like this movie would have been one of those, hey, it's on Netflix, like, and three months down the line, someone would have tweeted, oh, hey, this discusses, you know, the coming of age for women going on the internet and, and kids and the whole interaction in that, like just a coming of age story. I think that would have been the overall message. Like, mm -hmm. hey, it's a jarring coming of age story that kind of like, shows the woke side of like, you know, the internet influence on young kids and young women. Now yeah. that's, I mean, I feel like that's would have been it. Like if this movie would not have blown up the way it did. So I find that weird. I find that weird that Netflix chose this like totally different poster for it. The European one is like a lot better. Like I actually think it looks kind of cool with the bras. And, like, it just, it looks like a rebel movie. It looks like a rebellious movie. Right. Like it looks really cool that way. I like exactly. that. You're right. They do know what they're doing. And I just, don't understand why they did that. Now, this is a big thing with it. I, I know it was mentioned earlier before in this. This movie, who is this movie made for? Like, because this movie's definitely not made for kids to watch. It's not made for parents to watch with kids, it feels like. This movie feels like it's made for people who, you know, critique movies and like, oh, this is the new progressive movie that's out there kind of thing. Like, this is like, I feel like that's why it's won so many awards. Like, it's not made for, you know, the people I feel like it should be made for, like parents who need to get their, you know, the phones away from the kids. I feel like it's just made for like some, you know, mid 30 person who watches movies all the time and like, oh man, that was a very well presented, woke vision of uh, growing up with social media. That's how it feels like this movie was portrayed to me. And with the poster being as confusing as it was, they just could have done a lot better job with that. I think it was aimed at us. I think so too. To an extent, I think it was aimed more at the generation Everybody born between essentially about 88 probably in 2002 because those are the people that are going to be watching that film after seeing wondering like why are these people twerking think about it how much do, do you hear about our grandparents caring about twerking besides the grumbling about somebody doing it even our own parents for the most part most of their age range does not express much interest outside of the major musicians it's more along the lines of the younger generations and today's teenagers that are going on social media posting these things to ever teach these girls those acts in the first place. So if you're trying to address a problem, don't you speak to who's creating the problem? I agree with that, but I don't have a kid. And I know a lot of people my age who don't have kids. So it's like, I'm going to watch the movie. And most people who watch the movie are like, wow, that was just jarring. I feel like a lot of people already feel that that social media has like kind of gone off the rails when it comes to like sexual exploitations and kid getting kids getting 
in the hands of it and kind of going a little AWOL with it. I talked about this last podcast about the Lupe Fiasco song and how that he describes in it like little kids who watch music videos and they see the girls in these music videos and they don't see a paid actress getting paid money to be in this music video. They just see a, what they describe in the music video as a bad bitch. And a kid is gonna be like, oh, I wanna be a bad bitch. I wanna be like these people in this music video without understanding, oh, they're just a paid actress. They're not really like this all the time. They're just doing it because, hey, it's money, sex sells, and it's a job. But like, I, like that's what I mean. Like, if, if it's really aimed for us, I feel, I, know, I, don't, I feel like I know more people who are a little bit older who have kids who should see this movie, but they're not going to because it was such a poorly, like, you know, bad trailer, bad poster. Who's gonna watch it after that? No, it's like, it's not gonna hit them. It's just too jarring. It's like, I understand, yeah, understand the good intentions, but like, it's done so poorly that no one's gonna get the message across because of how it's portrayed. I think part of it's how we're referring to it too. Like earlier, I was texting a friend, for instance, about the new iOS update and all the new uh, widgets. I had it listed in my phone that the Cuties uh, podcast was today. And I got the response. Isn't that that child porno movie? Like, just how we're talking about it is shaping the overall emotions about this movie. Like, if you hear it referred to as a child porno movie, of course you're never going to look it up. If you do, it's not going to be to watch it. It's going to be to just to find out what do I avoid. But if you hear about, oh, here was this movie about, you know, girls dirty dancing and learning to uh, not to grow up, that's a whole different mentality. You're going to think, okay, I'm getting some coming-of-age story. Definitely. No, that's very true. And that's, uh, let's move on real quick to the second biggest part of this controversy, which is after Netflix apologized for the, the poster, out comes the trailer for the movie, which was even worse than the poster. And that obviously sparked everybody's anger and controversy against Netflix, starting the hashtag cancel Netflix all over Facebook and Twitter for the past couple months. I know Netflix, although we do not have the full figures of Netflix, there has been reportings that accounts have dropped tremendously since the release of this movie and the trailer, all bar it, calling it a pedophilia movie about little girls who are stripping, etc, etc. And that's not what the movie's about in any way, shape, or form. But that's kind of the, the idea that the trailer brought upon was a group of girls who are dancing risque in order to get attention. We were able to reach out to some CSUB students out of 118 total answers. Uh, now, mind you that 93.2% of these people said no, that they had never seen the film before, and only 6% said they had. But when we reached out to these students and asked on our Instagram is if the film should be removed or banned, 72.8% said yes, 27.2% said no. The next we asked would be, should Netflix be banned overall for this? Uh, the overrounding answer was no at 75.2%, which 24.8% said yes to condemn them. But to add to what Destiny said earlier, we also asked, does this represent culture today? Does this movie really rep vastly represent what people are going through? 56% said yes, only 44% said no. But again, a vast majority of the people who answered these questions had not seen the film. So they obviously have no idea what the film is about. All they know is what has been portrayed and through trailers. And uh, I think we've all kind of come to the general consensus that this, this movie really does kind of capture that coming of age style story and does to a way represent how culture is today and how young kids have to deal with this type of over-sexualization on the internet all the time. But the, the, the question needs to be asked, at least between us, do you guys feel, along with the majority of CSB students that asked, should this film be removed from Netflix? Or at least Netflix in America? 
I'm kind of on the no on that. I don't think it should be removed. I don't know. That's a hard one to answer. I personally don't think it should be removed from Netflix. I think Netflix should kind of like go about their way of kind of explaining it. It's kind of like really hard. It's like collateral damage at that point. You're like just trying to clean up like this big explosion because at this point, no one sees it as the coming of age story that we see it as now after watching it. Everyone sees it as what the negative, you know, the, the worst far up imaginative title that these people have given me, like a pedophile's wet dream, exactly that. It's not, like it's not in the movie. It's just like a really jarring movie, but no one's gonna see it as that now. And like, it feels like you just have to rebrand yourself to change it, you know what I mean? Like you have to just almost feel like, I feel like no one's gonna get the message anymore. Only a few people are gonna get the message and it has such a bad image to it now. I don't think it should be removed. Uh, personally, I just think it should be almost like rebranded, like re reinstated. Like so, so they need to make a whole big thing about it. I don't think it should be removed. Personally, I don't think a rebranding is even possible anymore, unless you go and literally change the entire movie name and all that i don't think you're going to be able to do that anymore just because no matter what everybody's just going to come back and remember oh yeah this is the movie that showed five girls dressed as strippers as the poster you know like i get your point i do understand that that that's kind of where i'm at is that like i agree with you i don't think it should be removed from netflix nor do i feel like netflix should really be condemned for this the whole uh cancel netflix hashtag i I get people's anger, don't get me wrong, but this is kind of what I feel cancel culture has taken culture in general. As soon as you hear something bad, the minute you hear something bad about it, it's gone. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon, it sucks, it's terrible, don't go into it, even if they haven't seen it. And it's just, it's terrible. And we've seen that many, many, many times throughout. Countless, countless times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fact checking, like how you mentioned, people are just going canceled, like, right. oh, Dance Dirty, canceled. There was that rumor that, oh, someone showed a nipple, canceled, they showed a teenage girl. That was an adult French porn star. Even then, it is like, I understand their gripe on that, though, because the girl was depicted as a little girl, regardless. And I understand if that's what the argument is, but they were trying to say cancel it because they actually showed a minor. Right. So they're not even basing their opinion on a fact. They're basing it solely on the emotion and rumor first. Right. They're not stopping and questioning and investigating what is it really doing in this film? Why are these girls being depicted as dancing like this? Right. That's a deeper issue altogether, yeah. honestly. That's like a, like, you know, that's like a left-right issue, like, that no one fact-checks anyways. That's just a societal problem that we should all fix. Because yeah. no one on either side, nor poli no politics aside, no one does it anymore. Everyone just mm. reads the thumbnail, retweets it, scrolls by. That's literally all like our generation does. It makes me very worried for the future because of that. I'm worried for the present, honestly, but. I think generally we've all kind of agreed that one, this movie shouldn't necessarily be judged before you actually watch it yourself. But two, I don't know, are, are we all kind of in agreement here? I don't think that the movie should be banned from Netflix. No, not at all. I don't think it should be banned at all. I think I really, this is my last thought on it, I'll say. I work in tech and I see parents with, you know, feeding their kids their phone at such a young age, like they're literally two, literally three, literally seven, eight, nine, things like that, just to, just to subdue them and keep them quiet in the public. This makes me wonder how often they do it and how easily access they have to everything. I think this movie was a movie that we need to be, that needs to be made for the people of our generation and older people. I just wish this was executed better. I do not think it should be taken off though. Destiny, you got any closing thoughts? So I just want for the listeners to kind of understand where the actual director was coming from this. So I found some of the statements from her herself. 
like for instance she actually according to the times she ended up saying at one point i was trying to recreate i was trying to recreate the girl who i was at that age giving her a voice and looking at what it means to become a woman understand that this is coming from the perspective though of a director that has experienced being moved and lived from one country to another. This is coming from the perspective of somebody with nine siblings and two mothers from a polyamorous marriage. So she is representing in through this film herself. That And she goes on and at a different time, she explains to Netflix, which this was recorded again by WKYC Studios. And she actually lets them know. Our girls see that the more a woman is overly sexualized on social media, the more she's successful. And the children just imitate what they see, trying to achieve the same result without understanding the meaning. And yeah, it's dangerous. And I agree with her, it's dangerous. Overall, I don't think we should be turning around saying Netflix should take all the heat or this movie should be banned. Do I think they should have been more fair to the movie on their marketing, such as the poster and the trailer? Yes, very much so. It was misleading. As, as you said, it did come borderline child smut. They also cherry-picked the worst scenes from the movie to make it as controversial as possible. Right. If I had to guess, I would assume this is because they thought that that's what would gain the interest based off of what the rest of American culture is showing interest in. But overall, I think people are overlooking why she's saying she did it. Like, they are just fo so focused on how she went about this message, which, as I said, I have no issue with somebody that feels that she went about portraying this message in an inappropriate or trashy way. That's fine. At that point, that all is going to be a matter of opinion. But I think it is important to keep in mind, like she said, she is showing what she has personally seen and lived. She is telling the world essentially parts of her life story. She tells other press repeatedly about how the dancing stemmed from other little girls. She walked in on a party and they had been all doing it. All she is doing is regurgitating what society is feeding her for an experience. I get, like, say, as two guys, you guys have had totally different life experiences. I get even other females are going to have a slightly different experience. But I feel like you're never going to fully get it until you've been the 11-year-old girl getting bullied for your underwear not being girly enough. You're too young to be a woman, but you're too old to be a girl. What do you be? And this movie is focused on finding out what they should be. What is the in-between? I'm not a girl. I'm not a woman. So what am I? Like, they even deal with her getting her first period and be her being laughed at by her relatives. Like, she is literally lost. And I don't know about the other females my age, but me and most of my friends sure felt pretty lost. We all felt like we were just stumbling along having to figure it out together. And that's all I can say is if somebody's going to take the time to assume that this is some pervert, as I said, like we've been talking about as a perverted pedophile's wet dream or anything like that, like the media is calling it, I do think they need to take the time and sit down and watch this movie. I thought I was going to be sick when I heard the plot of it until I watched it. You know, I, I think that's unanimous with all three of us. I, and, and, and I think that's a testament to what Lissa should listen or to hear throughout all of this is, all three of us came in to this watching this film with the exact same thoughts. Pretty much what everybody was talking about it was that it was going to be a really, really bad. Like, I'm not going to lie. I had nothing but negative things in my head about this. And again, I'm not saying the movie's a good movie. 
personally, I didn't think it was a good movie, but I understand the message and it, I feel like the entire controversy is all cancel culture jumping super fast on this so without, like Destiny just said, without really even understanding or watching the film to begin with. So at the end of it all, I think we all kind of had the same thoughts. No, Netflix should not be banned for this. The only thing Netflix should be blamed for is, is how they presented this movie and advertised. If you would have portrayed this movie in a completely different light, like say, like I said earlier, like Seth Rogen did with Good Boys, it would have been a completely different thing. But that's all the time we have for this subject. Thank you guys so much for sitting down and talking with me about this. And hopefully we shed a little bit of light for anybody who's curious on the subject or was curious about maybe checking the movie out for themselves. But for now, let's transition to something a little more fun and lighthearted. Disney Plus and their very popular Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, which their season two is coming out at the end of this month. And our podcaster, Blake McKee, is here to talk with me about this. Blake, take it away. Hello, ladies and gents. It's Blake from The Runner. And today we're going to dive into season two trailer for the highly anticipated Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. So the trailer came out on September 15th under the official Star Wars YouTube channel and already has a total of 9.8 million views. Needless to say, there are a lot of fans who are anxious for the October 30th season two premiere. With that being said, Chris and I are going to briefly discuss the possible spoilers and exposition points revealed in the trailer. So without further ado, let's dive in. So the trailer begins with a narration that's likely setting up the story for the majority of the second season, or so I think. We can hear a female voice, likely the armorer from season one, telling Mando that he needs to return the child, aka Baby Yoda, to one of their natural enemies, the space wizard Jedi, so that he can be with his own kind. Upon questioning the advice, Mando is told, this is the way, which becomes a staple line for the previous season. So right off the bat, what are your thoughts on this, Chris? Does anything come to mind with this uh, exposition point? Oh, so much, so much. First and foremost, I'm very excited to see where this season goes. The way the last season ended was, I don't think it was a cliffhanger. Honestly, I think they could have kept it going the way it was if they wanted to, but it, there's a lot to be desired still. And for anybody who hasn't seen this show, it's essentially John Wayne meets Star Wars. Absolutely. It's very Western-y. It's very just, oh, it's great. Absolutely. Uh, it's totally a space Western. Yes. And I, and I agree with you that I do believe that season two is more going to be based around uh, the Mandalorian played by Pedro Pascal taking the child, aka what everyone loves to call baby Yoda. He is not Yoda, but it is what it is. There's just no species name for it. But uh, I really don't know. I don't know how this is all going to transpire i'm very excited to see what happens uh, and all in all i just it's just i'm just very excited i i really like that's all i can really say about it uh i'm very it, it, it's very exciting to see a lot of other characters coming in including moff gideon for some people who don't know who that is uh is a very very prominent character in star wars lore who uh is very high up in the empire uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers away because I'm pretty sure his backstory is going to be a lot in this season as well. So, but real quick, one thing I wanted to say that this is the way quote as I, because everybody uses it now for the show. Um, it's actually the motto and saying for the Mandalorian uh, credo. So uh, it's, it's all like intertied together that this is the way is, is kind of what they all say to justify like this is this is just the way of life this is how we do things so 
Right, and this is for the the preservation of what's left of the Mandalorians. Exactly, exactly. But there's a lot of major castings that are coming in this season too, or I guess being renewed this season. Um, I don't know how you felt about Gina Carano, who played Cara Dune, the, I guess you could say, the Mandalorian's right-hand helper. She helps out quite a bit in the season two, or in season one, but it seems like she's going to be even more prevalent in season two. I personally love her character. I think it's going to be interesting and to see her development as well in all of this and just how everybody kind of, I guess, contributes to getting the child back home. Yeah, absolutely. And some other big names that will be popping up into the season two will be uh, Ahsoka Tano from the Clone Wars, played by Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. And then also we'll have allegedly Bubba Fett coming back, uh, being played by the original actor, uh, Tamuera Morrison. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Ahsoka is a character that's never been played in live action. So this is the first time we'll ever see her uh, being played in a live action role. The fans of the Clone Wars series know exactly who she is. She is the Padawan to Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader, before he turns into Darth Vader. If you haven't seen the Clone Wars series, you really need to go watch it. It's absolutely incredible, and it goes into everything you don't get to see in between episodes two and three. Um, right, absolutely, dude. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Ahsoka is that the story-wise, the last time we see her is in um, Star Wars Rebels, the TV show. which happens between episode three and four. So like during the whole original trilogy, and we don't really know what happens to her. And considering that her voice shows up in um, episode nine during that whole, oh, Ray used the force, then we know she's dead at some point. But we have really no closure on what happened to her. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really exciting for fans to be like, okay, so we're going to see like an older version of her. Like, are we going to see like, are they going to expand more on this, like, gray, like, neutral Jedi concept? Is she, you know, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. I definitely think that's coming. I think the gray Jedi area is definitely going to be expanded upon with uh, the Ahsoka Tano connection. Uh, well, I hope so. I, I am very excited because, like you said, the only time we ever get to see her kind of grow is at the end of Clone Wars when she and a rogue clone trooper completely uh somehow get away from order 66 which killed all the other jedi and then you see her in rebels pop up again for very short amount of time but it's still really cool to see you know the connection between the two thinking and hoping this kind of bridges you know and opens a door for hopefully maybe rosario to get her own series and the oh, Soka yeah, Tano series would be really cool in my opinion Right, and this, as we were kind of already building upon that, might just give the fans the closure that they've been longing for. Because we know, like, she can't live forever. Like, she isn't, like, a special species like Yoda's race where they live to be 800. Right. You know? No, definitely. Yeah, definitely agree with that. But it's just, it's a really cool, interesting story because she's literally the last living Jedi that she knows of her entire life. Obviously, Mm -hmm. others like Yoda and Obi-Wan survive as well, but She's one of the last line of Jedi. You never hear about her. You never mm-hmm. know where she's coming from. But her and Anakin have a very, very strong bond, a very strong relationship. And that's definitely shown throughout Clone Wars. And especially at the very end of Clone Wars, when Vader goes to look for her, 
and doesn't find her and yeah. thinks that she is dead. So I, I really do believe that that was one of the big steps towards Vader becoming fully evil because he thought that literally everyone he had loved had either left him to die or were dead. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting turn. And the return of Boba Fett, I mean, I don't think I have to be the one to tell anybody. It's Boba Fett. I mean. Yeah. Speaks for itself. Yeah, exactly. And I understand people's gripes that, oh, he's not that great in the movies. Like, you don't, you don't understand. This is Boba Fett. This is the man. And it's, it, it is really cool that they got uh, the guy who played Django Fett to come back and play Boba Fett. Uh, I know essentially they're supposed to be the same character because Boba is a clone of Django, but it's just the convolutity. I think Disney's really doing it right. I think Disney Plus is really putting their best foot forward with the Star Wars series, especially with the lackluster uh, turnaround of episodes eight and nine. Yes, yes. The fandom was not very happy about that. Uh, but I'm very excited to see where this series goes and how well they'll tie into the convoluted. But like, I think part of the reason why this show has been so successful is the fact that like Disney isn't trying to add anything. It's more so they're trying, they're filling in the blank spaces that fans have been like theorizing for like decades. Right. And that's you no, know, or like, you know, cause fans, they want to know about the old Republic. They want to know about all the in between. They want to know behind the scenes. They don't necessarily like, well, after Anakin, like, who really cares? You know, I mean, other than, like, the Mandalorian, because it kind of ties into post-Republic or right. yeah, Empire. And I think that's an interesting way that Disney's going to take these Star Wars movies that no one ever thought they would go. You're not going to get a whole ton of what people are used to with Star Wars. I feel like Disney really wants to expand this universe, get more names out there, and, you know, ex just make it what it should be. Uh, but let's move on to what we saw, actually saw in the trailer and what's actually in this that we know of so far because a lot of these spoilers are out there, but which ones are true, which ones aren't, we don't, we really can't tell until the series comes out on October 3rd. Absolutely. Yeah, so right off the top of my head, I speculated, we saw like Mando exploring through a frozen cave mm -hmm. uh, just, just for like split second, right? Like for like you know, a second or two which is possibly Ilum, or Ilum, however you say it, from the Clone Wars and Jedi Fallen Order game. So for those of you who aren't uh, aware, Ilum is the dwarf planet that young Padawan learners are taken to to find a kyber crystal, which is then used to power lightsabers. It's, it's a natural part of their training. Um, uh, and if Ilum, if it is Ilum that they're at, it makes me extremely excited you know, but also it, it raises a few questions that, you know, obviously we won't be able to answer until the show is out, as Chris uh, alluded to. Because if they are at Illum, it begs the question of, well, what are they doing there? Are they looking for a kyber crystal for the child? You know, is maybe Mando himself, like, going on the route of the Jedi? You know, is, uh, was he given a lead that a Jedi could be there so he could hand over the child? Is there a Jedi waiting there? Was he baited there? You know, that's just, you can go on endlessly with that. Um, did you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Or anything yeah, actually, else that popped out at you? I, I think that's a really interesting point. I didn't even really consider that it would be Alien. Uh, but but that's, that's a very valid and very uh, probable situation. I think you're right. I think uh, Mando was definitely either told to go there because of the Jedi 
temple that was there and the kyber crystals because that is where they originate mm-hmm. but i don't see mando himself going down the route of a jedi um mm-hmm. he seems very bent set on the mandalorian way and true true to see him veer from that would be interesting but i do believe mando is going to get a lightsaber-esque weapon in this season because the dark blade has been shown uh with Giancarlo Esposito's character Moff Gideon at the end of season one uh yeah that's right seen that it's the black bladed lightsaber which actually in the lore of Star Wars was originally created by the Mandalorians they created that to be able to fight with Jedi and their lightsabers if I'm correct on that one I'd have to double check but Uh, it was created by the Mandalorians. And I do believe that Mando is going to take that saber back from Moff Gideon during this season and use it at some point. Uh, but if you are correct, and it is Ilium, I personally believe that he would probably be sent there, like you said, to either find a kyber crystal for the child or at least bring him to one. Yeah. Or that could be the connection of where he will meet some of these characters like Ahsoka Tano. If it is Ilium though, I do agree that I think that it's, it's going to be a connection with the child and somehow gaining the intelligence of Jedi in order to hand the child off to somebody that could actually teach it these ways of the force. Cause obviously he's very force sensitive and the only person I could think of at this point would be Ahsoka Tana. But again, she's only an IMDb. She's only credited for one episode as of right now. And they have added the episodes of season two. So how much we see of her is very unknown if this is true or not. I think the point you make that it could be Ilium is probably on point. I think that's exactly what it is. But what he's doing there and who he's there for and who he's there to meet, we don't know yet, obviously. But I would venture to say that it's probably going to be connected to Ahsoka Tano. One other alleged leak that had come out was the possibility that season two may be the final season of the show, The Mandalorian. And this leak is centered around the, the rumor that allegedly Pedro Pascal may walk away from the role because he was having some conflict with the writers, I believe it was uh, Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau, about having more uh, screen time with his actual face uh, in regards to just him being, uh, in just regards to his acting career, he wanted to, his face to actually be seen, in which uh, the producers were like, well, it doesn't serve the story, and we've already established that, you know, the 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 creed requires that the helmet is on at all times so sorry well we don't know this for sure it was just a rumor that he was like oh well he, he could possibly just walk away from the show just out of uh creative differences did you have any input or uh, yeah checks on that yeah i did hear about that it, it's an interesting point because it, i honestly wouldn't be surprised if something like this were to happen batwoman had lost the lead for their role because she just decided to step away after the first season um, but I do have an article here on inverse.com by Dias Johnston that says Pedro Pascal is not walking away from the Mandalorian. It all is just a rumor. They make a really good point in their article here in the second paragraph when they say, nowadays covering the possibly true going ons of Hollywood and it has moved to Twitter and YouTube. Uh, but in a time of unpredictable information access, these rumors can be easily debunked if you look at the right places. And I think that's really true. 
it because a lot of false information can be passed around because of rumors and hearsay. Uh, I highly doubt that Pedro is going to walk away from this. I mean, even if his face isn't shown, you could hear his voice plenty fine. Or at least in my opinion, you can. And it's like you said, it just, I think overall he will understand that it's part of the continuity of it all. It's like taking Batman's cowl off can't really have batman running around gotham without a mask it just doesn't make sense right because you know robert pattinson he was like oh like i have a better angle from up here and it's like well it doesn't serve the story it serves you exactly you know exactly where you have to you have to draw a line you know especially considering how south in episodes eight and nine went like i think like lucasfilm is going to be more so like okay like we need to do this right and like you know, everything Dave Filoni's ever touched has just been, like, gold. You know, so I, I really feel like, you know, if, if Dave Filoni says no on something, that it's kind of just like, we should just go with it. We should just trust him. I feel like he gets it more than anyone else, maybe. That's fair. I mean, it is his writing, so he would understand. And I love how this show is, it's, it's not even a, like, everyone just talks about Baby Yoda. It's never about him. True, it's always true. like even like cnet.com their article from two days ago says the mandalorian season two everything we need to know ahead of baby yoda's october 30th return not the mandalorian's <laughs> return no baby yoda that's what everyone wants to see so <clears throat> it's just oh man it's so funny i cannot wait to see where they go with this i wish taika watiti was coming back he's not uh his character is done unfortunately so to end on just bring this up to you do you feel like this is like a lot of fans talk about do you think this is the best star wars continuity right now i guess i would argue that that is the case and i feel this it's largely due to this how universal it is like there's you know you don't have to necessarily watch all the movies like, you don't have to watch all nine films to, like, watch this and, like, get it, you know? So it's less intimidating than, like, oh, going to episode nine. Oh, but I haven't watched all the all eight of them, you know? But realistically, if you think about it, the amount of time it would take you to watch, let's say, episodes one through six, because mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine really don't qualify in this continuity anymore because they're more of the aftermath of all of it. Sure. Technically, if you add all of those movies together, it's less time to watch those than it is to watch all of Mandalorian seasons one and two. Because every episode was about, what, 45 minutes to an hour long? Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I think it's just maybe just because the nature of a show and it, it, it's like a spinoff show. Fair. So it, it's just, it doesn't feel as intimidating. It's not like, oh, I have to remember all these plot points. It's like, you can come into it fresh and be like, oh, that guy, he's kind of cool. And hey, there's Baby Yoda and this is fun, mm-hmm. you know? Because it, it, I think it's easier to sit through, uh, you know, episode one and decide whether you want to go on versus watching the first six movies and then deciding whether you want to start the show. That That's fair. No, that's fair. And Really, you can watch this show on its own. It doesn't need to be paired with the movies. Because like I said, it's not like other Star Wars continuity. It's very Western-esque. Yes. Uh, just very fun. Very lighthearted. 
at points where it needs to be. And overall, I just feel like, I feel like this is Disney going in the right direction when it comes to Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. And like you're alluding to, I, I think it speaks to like the craftsmanship they're putting into the show. Just considering that it, it works as a standalone and it works in context. It works both ways. Right. Which, I, which is, it's hard to achieve. And I, I think a lot of that credit has to go to John Favreau. I feel like he's a really accomplished director right now, especially with his track record of, you know, the Iron Man movies and Lion King, the remastered Lion King, which personally I thought was pretty good. And obviously the, uh, the Mandalorian series, I feel like he understands that what the fans want and how to present it to them. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. The man can be single-handedly given the love and respect he deserves for starting the MCU because he did. If it wasn't for Iron Man 1, we don't have the 20 plus years of amazing movies after that. So the man is, he knows what he's doing. I think Disney knows what they're doing at this point. And like I said, it's season two is just going to be really fun. Oh, absolutely. I have no fears or anxieties at all about it. I don't think we really have anything to worry about, really. I think it's just going to be really fun to see what happens with Mando and the child in season two. But that's all the time we have for you this week. Thank you to Destiny, Joey, and Blake for sitting down and talking with me today. And thank you all for sitting and listening to our podcast today. If you would like to find any of the rest of our podcasts, feel free to look us up on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. Or go check out some of the rest of our great written stories on therunneronline.com. But once again, we appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for being here. But that's all we got for you this week. We'll see you next week.